We're just going to quickly pause for a second, but I, I love, absolutely love this song because the nature of the kingdom of God, it's based on this. All that man, fallen man can do is maneuver, manipulate the materials that are presently here. That's all man can do, whether it's energy, whether it's matter, whatever it is. God always makes something out of nothing. God, God actually, and what his kingdom is trying to do is to get a people to access what is not and make it. Make it here. Make it now. The beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that it's kind of like one of those sci-fi movies where all of a sudden, you know, there's a ripple in the space-time continuum and a door opens up and there's a brilliant shining light and somebody comes through from one realm to another realm. We can do that. That's what we do when we worship. When we worship, we open up a door between realms and we invite something to come into creation. God makes a way where there is no way. God makes a stream in the desert, but he makes it out of nothing. This is the beauty of faith. This is the beauty of the kingdom of God. This is the beauty of people that operate in a supernatural power. So I want to invite you, as we worship, just... Believe, 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 believe that every tone you make, every sound, every, every phrase carries hope, carries a, an essence, a life, a power, and it changes this room first, but then it goes beyond this room to our city and to our province. So if you're visiting, bless you, welcome, but enter into worship with us. The Father is looking for worship because when there's worship on earth as there is in heaven the kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven father we thank you god for the work that you're doing in our hearts you may think that this journey revolves solely around faith But I want you to know that there's a convergence of faith, humility, righteousness, worship, that these things work together for the manifestation. And God is doing something in our hearts that's going to allow greater and greater measures of his presence to fall down on assemblies like this one. And it's not contingent upon a decision that God is making, but it's contingent upon the work that he's doing as he turns our hearts. So, Lord, we say with everything within us today, you deserve the glory. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of being in your presence, of having access to you. Oh, we count it so much more a privilege. I pray that the way that we handle this access, Lord, will reflect our humility, our gratitude, Our privilege, God, 
I just want to declare right now that he is greater than anything that men can give us. That everything we think we can get from the hand of man, much, 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 much more is available from him. And while we seek to have favor with this one in authority and this one with treasure and this one with political influence and this one over here, the Lord sits above the circle of the earth and holds all things. Come on. He holds all things in the power of his hand. And there is a faith that walks into the throne room of God. There is a faith that steps into the courts of heaven. There is a faith that goes to him first and him last. That he is the sum total of everything that we need. Oh, and so we run to you, Lord. We run to you, Lord. So I just want to pray right now that the possibilities, what opened just a second ago was a world of possibilities and hope. This is, this is the door that's open for you, and it's for everything that you need. It's for everything that you require. It's not only for strength and joy and, and, and humility, but it's for resources and answered prayer and finances and shifts in your business and everything, everything, everything is in Him. It's provided in Him. You know, hopefully, hopefully, I'm going to preach here in a second, and hopefully we're going to move more deeper into the revelation of God. Amen? So keep your spirit alive. Don't suddenly shift from worship in the spirit to mental processing. Oh, now the word's coming. Let me turn my mind on and filter everything through my mind. No, through your spirit. Your spirit absorbs the truth. He said, how do, how do we know the things you, that you're saying are true? He said, you will know. Yeah, but how? You will know. Well, how will we know? You'll know. You know and you're knower. I saw something last night here. I've been, uh, let's see. We used to play this game. Oh, there's a duck in here. That duck doesn't belong in this game. So uh, I'm not usually one to bring up props, but uh, I just thought, you know what, let's, let's do that because uh, I'm going to make an inference today about our maturity. And there's this great biblical analogy that we're going to go to, but, uh, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to be compared to children, both either positively or negatively, because it's done throughout the Scripture. Uh, you know, most significantly in terms of negatively in Hebrews chapter 5, when the writer of Hebrews is saying, yeah, you should be more mature by this time, but you are back to milk and pablum instead of solid food. Now, 
that's not really a flattering reference. All right. But I, I tell you what, if the apostles thought it was possible in his day, I think it might be possible in our day as well. And we should never be insulted by the truth. Amen? So, anyway, I'm not saying we're babies here, but I'm just, I'm going to give an illustration because I want, I, want, I want us to be helped by what I'm going to say today. So, in, in James, I've been doing this series on peacemakers, and in James, if you go to the end of chapter 3, I'm going to go to the end of chapter 3, and then I'm going to jump back to the beginning of James. James is absolutely a stunning book. Man, I, I was uh, meditating on this last night, and, um, and when I mean meditating, I'm not just analyzing the language and the words and the intent of the, of the writer. Literally, these words, you know, these are spirit and their life. Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And, um, and that means this. That means they're not there to simply be intellectually analyzed. Let me give you the difference. When you go to camping or something and you sit out around the fire and you got you 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 know you the flames are are burning uh, what do you do do you sit there do you enjoy it do you absorb the warmth do you absorb with your eyes the beauty are you mesmerized with the with the flickers and the different colors and the blues and the yellows and the oranges or are you making a mental list of the thousand different characteristics of fire all right the mind the mind makes detailed lists of characteristics, and, and if it's trying to convey the thing that it experienced, the mind does so through these, this checklist of, of details, of in, information. But how many of you know when you're getting a detailed list of information that it does not somehow transmit the same experience of sitting in front of a fire? Right? I can perfectly... I can geometrically, with an algorithm, explain to you the form of fire and the ratio between energy expended and everything, and how that, the you know how energy is released and mathematically what it is and everything. That does not make you any warmer. The beauty that is in fire is not absorbed. I mean, poetically, you can do it a little more by saying beautiful words, but it's meant to be experienced. The Spirit of God, the life of God, is meant to be absorbed experientially, not detailed intellectually. And if you just detail intellectually the truth of something, you lose the most significant part of it. You lose the mesmerizing beauty. Because even then, well, actually, I I wasn't meaning to preach on that. Ah, See what I'm talking about? There's a whole vein that we could go down there. But, so I was thinking about passages last night. And I wasn't thinking about what they meant. I was thinking about the beauty of the words themselves. The words are oozing with oil. The words are oozing with, with life. And I'm, I'm, I'm absorbing, as I'm meditating on it, I'm not looking for meaning. I'm not, I'm not titillated in my mind. Find, oh, people would be really impressed if I said this about this. I am absorbing the life that's in the word. I want you to absorb the life that's in these words today. James chapter 3 and verse 18 says this, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace 
by those who make peace. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so we've been talking about the theme of peacemakers. We are called peacemakers. And this morning I want to talk about, okay, that's our goal, that's our function, this is what the sons of God are, Matthew 5, 9, right? We talked about it, it said, blessed are, are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God, because peacemakers, and I said, are not peacekeepers, we're not talking about managing conflict, we're not talking about those who manage war by keeping sides apart, we make peace, and the way that the sons make peace is they bring to the earth the commodity that comes from heaven. They bring to the earth not just uh, a collection of attributes for a situation that we would define as peace, but a commodity that comes from heaven. The kingdom of God is always about commodities that have their origin in heaven. That's why it says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Peacemakers are ones who make peace, they make it. They make it out of nothing. And as I, I I love this illustration, I'll say it again. When mom says to the kids, go to your rooms, that may look like making peace, but it isn't. That's the cessation of hostilities. And that's not the same thing as peace. Peace is a commodity. And it doesn't doesn't fit in that uh, vortex of of emptiness when there's no fighting and no anger. It's something else entirely. So we have this call to be sons of God and to materialize or manifest our destiny, we have to be peacemakers. But the question is, how do I do that? How do I make peace? Is there a process? Does God have a way for this to happen? You see, if we're going to be if we're going to be dealing with racism, if we're going to be doing, dealing with hatred, if we're going to be dealing with lawlessness, if we're going to be dealing with sinners, if we're going to be dealing with conflict and divorce and broken relationships, we have to be ones that can make peace. And there are, there are things that are essential to that that we have to have. And so um, I want to walk through some scriptures here. Now, James is, I think, one of the, James and John, they're my heroes, James and John brothers and uh sons of thunder and uh unless i got the jameses mixed up which i might have but anyway but they these these guys are separated i I believe it's james the brother of john that wrote james but anyway there's two jameses but regardless james and john are are beautiful works and particularly james talks about the frustrations of your christian life and he's saying listen there are going to be frustrations in your, in your Christian life. There are going to be trials. There's going to be temptations. And he, so he begins to delineate some of the specifics of this in order to bring us to the latter part of the book where he talks about being peacemakers and what's involved in that. But what he says right at the beginning is, is critically important. And so I'm going to I'm, it, keep this in mind. We are trying to be peacemakers. We are trying to be ones who bring to the earth a commodity that is called peace. But here's the thing. You have to be doing that in your regular life. You have to be doing that in your private life. You have to be doing that in your own mind, in your own soul. You have to be doing that in the secret of your own relationships with others. 
You can't be kindling a fire of conflict and division and, and war all the time and yet be a peacemaker. Peacemaking begins with accessing a commodity and it's not, it's not uh, equivalent to the flame of division. So we're going we're gonna to look at some of these things. No, worth noting, worth noting along the way, and I, I love this because I, I think of peace as a, like a wet blanket on the flames of division. But it says, it says that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It says the tongue is set on fire of the flames of hell. That analogy is not by accident. Okay, so we're, we're going to get right down to the nitty-gritty because, because here's our problem, and this is, this is the, I'm going to frame it here very simply. This is what James says. Okay, you say you want peace, but you don't. You say you want God, but you don't. And I'm going to show you the places where that, be, that is true in your life. So that's what the book of James is all about. He's saying, listen, there is some disconnects in your experience. There's some disconnects in your, in, in, you know, things that you're doing that are part of your profession of faith. But, but then there's this other stuff in your life that is anti that. This, these things ought not to be so. And they are causing, here's where we want to go. They are causing you to not be able to be the peacemaker that you're called to be. Next week, can we fill in all the front seats, please? Just saying. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back right to the beginning of James. Let's, let's look what it, John says, uh, James says. James says, A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. So this is a pretty far-reaching thing. He's not writing to one church. He's not saying to the Corinthians, Hey, that issue that you had, listen, uh, you should deal with it and deal with it in this way. It's not that specific. He's saying, listen, I'm writing to the body of Christ. This is universal. These problems are universal, and the solution is universal. I'm writing to everybody. Every believer that's out there, you got to hear this, he says. This is important. My brethren, count it all. Joy when you fall into various trials. Okay. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So you mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, right? About perfect. Be perfect as I am perfect. And the word is teleos in the, in the Greek, and it means complete. It, it means, it, it's kind of like a seed that's planted when that seed grows. If you've got carrots and you put them in the ground, they grow and they become a full mature carrot. Right? With the green thing on the end and, and the orange stalk and pointy, ready to eat. Right? That's mature. Perfect is about fullness. It's about maturity. It's about this thing has come full circle. This is, this is the final phase of its development. And so he's saying, listen, if you want to be perfect, if you want to come into maturity, if, if you want to make something of the seed that was planted inside of you when you became born again. See, when you became born again, God didn't say, hey, be good. See, that's what we hear when we hear, be perfect. Be good. Be morally, completely upright in every conceivable way because that's not possible. 
What he's saying is, is, is the seed that's in you, guard that seed and bring it, do whatever it takes to bring that thing to fullness so that you can be complete. So that you can be the manifestation, and of course the seed is not a carrot seed, it's not a potato, it's not, uh, I was going to say Cialis, but that's not the right one. There's, there's, there's one herb I love, my wife hates. Cilantro, yes, everybody knows, right? It's a love-hate relationship with cilantro. I, who loves cilantro here? Oh, yes, blessed be your name. I love cilantro. My wife hates it. She says, tastes not even like soap, but worse. But anyway, everything, everything starts with a seed and then grows up. The nature of Jesus Christ is not achieved through effort. The effort you expend in your life is, is really just to try to suppress or limit the effect of sin. That's the effort. But the, you don't need effort to bring forth the, the life of God. You just need to make room for it. And so he's basically saying, listen, there's a seed in you. You're in a process, and I want you to come to the end of this thing. But he says, you know, some of you are struggling because you don't understand the journey. And because you don't understand the journey, you're doing the wrong things. And we don't want to be doing the wrong things, do we? That's one person. So he says, listen, he's introducing the journey. He said, trials are normal. Testings are normal. You're going to need to to apply patience because it's going to take some time for perfection to come. You know, you don't get a carrot overnight. It's going to take some time. Seed, stock, full grain in the head, harvest. So he says, um, and this is what this, this verse I love, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. All right, let me tell you something about the kingdom of heaven. Let's see if this works. Have you ever noticed that there's always seems to be a catch-22? You know, that like you get this promise. Oh, if you do this, you're going to get this. And then you do that thing, you think, and you don't get the thing. And you say, well, that's because you missed this other part. And there's always seems to be another part, right? And uh, what happens, and I've seen this happen to people, is somebody said to them, well, you know, talk to God. So they talk to God. And then it doesn't work. We used to play this game as a kid. I mean, not as a kid, with our kids. And um, sometimes when we were bored, Wendy and I would play it. But we made it a little more complex. We would time ourselves and see who could to put them all in the fastest. And, of course, you know, uh, I haven't done it in a while. I'm a little out of practice, but it's, it's pretty straightforward. There's not that much to it. You know, you just kind of put the stuff in, right? It's easy. It's like, it's like just find the stuff and put it in. Until, unless you can't do it, unless you're doing it wrong, then it gets hard. Everything 
Everything in the kingdom that you do right is easy. Everything that you do in the kingdom that you do wrong is hard. And so at some point, at some point, we need to decide is that we either, either are right or wrong or God is right or wrong. I mean, that, you have to decide that at some point. And part of the frustration of a lot of young Christians coming into the church is they don't really believe that God is right and they're wrong. They don't believe that. They're giving it a try. You don't give God a try. He's right and you're wrong. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Yeah. And so, if you think you're doing it right and it's not working, I guarantee you something. Human error. This is always about human error. We're not talking about something that's made by men. We're not talking about, well, is it the jet or is it human error? Is it the 707 or is it, you know, is it the, uh, the radar on the jet or is it human error? They say 90-some percent of the time it's human error. Even though those jets are made by men. said, so you know, the, the, the missing equation, the, the weak link in this whole thing is always man. So the first message of this, this book is basically this. And I'll read it to you. If anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone doesn't understand why it's not working, if anyone's frustrated that things aren't panning out for them the way they thought it should pan out, ask for wisdom. In other words, realize, first of all, if you ask for wisdom, you have to realize there you have a missing part. You don't know something. But you have to ask in faith. Well, part of that, what's implied in that faith is, is that the faith that, it, that God is true and every man is a liar. Or let me put it a different way. Let me use a euphemism. God is true and everyone is completely so self-indulgent that when push comes to shove, they'd rather say God is wrong than themselves. There's something in the carnal nature that you bump up against that wants to say God is wrong. And if your journey has slowed down in any way, I guarantee you at some level that's what you're dealing with. So when he says, if you ask wisdom for wisdom, you know, ask of wisdom and God will give you wisdom. He'll show you where you're doing it wrong. But ask in faith. In other words, ask with the belief that God is correct and you are wrong. Because if, if, there, if underneath the surface of that supposed request, oh God, I ask for wisdom, show me the ways that you might possibly be wrong. Show me the ways where even though it says that you're perfect and your judgments are wonderful and true and glorious, that you, in my case, you probably messed up. Because I do deserve more than what's happening in my life. There's an injustice and an unfairness in my life and I feel you should fix it and there's no good reason why you're not. Now, you might not actually say those words, but sometimes you feel it. Why are they getting that and not me? 
Why did that person get that promotion and not me? Why did, and of course we say, well, you know, it's because there's injustice in the world. Well, that's the beauty of being a Christian. Faith pulls the justice of heaven down to the earth so that injustice is suspended from your life, if you actually believe. See, I, I, I used to think that. I used to think, you know, I've got this calling. I have these spiritual gifts and things are not happening to me and i i look at that guy and he's he's doing conferences and there's thousands of people coming in his conferences and i thought he's no better than me what is that other than pride but it's a belief a belief that somehow this is unequitable this is unjust and even though it says nothing's impossible to him that believes i still want to fault somebody not myself, but I'm too embarrassed to actually fault God. So I'm going to fault my pastor. I'm going to fault my wife. I'm going to fault the economy. I'm going to fault the lack of justice. I'm going to fault everything except moi. But the simple message is something's wrong here. This is not, this might be broken. This might, you know, if this was an Ikea thing and it wasn't working, my first conclusion is, yeah, they drilled the holes wrong again. (laughs) And then Paul Captain comes around to my house and says, yeah, you just turn that around. Oh, oh. Just turn that around. It was made to fit. It's not broken. Human error. You you see, why is this important? Because the context of where we're going to is God wants us to be peacemakers. He wants to make peace. But the first thing he has to do is he has to get you in a place where you make peace in and of yourself, where you're living a world of peace, where you are a man and a woman of peace. And, and what that takes is, it takes a sense of responsibility that, man, if, if the word says everything necessary for godliness is provided in God, then, man, I can't blame my wife anymore. If everything necessary for life and godliness is already provided, then I, who shall I blame today? Now, don't get me wrong. There's actual real injustice in the world. There's actual real corruption. There's some really bad things going on. Really bad things. But God has a fix for that too. He says, listen, this is the beauty of faith. If you any of us believe everything that the kingdom of heaven has can come down right on your life. But yeah, but you don't understand. There's not a good economy in my region, Lord. You don't understand. I live in Africa. You don't understand. There's there's a sex trade, and I'm in in uh, you know in Bangkok, and I'm I'm there, and I'm surrounded by the you know. You don't understand God. He said, No, no. This is the thing. I have made it possible for you to be a fountainhead 
of everything that is in the kingdom of everything that's in heaven can come through you. This is what I've made you to be, possibly. No limit. Everything that's in heaven can come through your life. All it takes is one person. One person can transform a community. One person can transform a city. One person can transform a nation. Yeah, that's, that's really hard for some of us to believe, right? Because what you're up against is how much you can believe for. And you're always measuring yourself against, well, the best person I know in my life that I have continuous, they only do this much. How can you, how can you say that this, because everything comes to you according to your faith. God, open up the doors of possibility. Father, open up the doors of possibility, I pray. Even in the natural, we see this. Before they, there was a time when they just didn't believe a five-minute mile was possible. A man couldn't run a five-minute mile. It's just, they just, a oh, four-minute mile. So four-minute, they were probably five, two at one point. But four-minute mile. You know, they thought just, no, no, no. The, the physics of the human male body is not enough. There's just not enough strength. It's the mechanics of it. It's the, you know, do the math. It's just not possible. What we can hope for is maybe a half a second beyond what we have right now. The only reason we're stuck there, now this is an analogy for spiritual things. There are limits in the natural, actually. But, the, but, but even though there are limits in the natural, that wasn't a limit in the natural. That was a limit in the mind. That was a limit of expectation. That was a minute, I mean, a, 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 a limit of an inability to imagine anything beyond this, this thing. There's a brass ceiling there. I just can't see anything past that. I just can't believe for more than that. That exists right now in all of your lives. That exists in your relationships. That exists in your, when you raise your kids, you, you imagine an expectation. And you, you put a ceiling on their potential by what you believe is possible. And you discipline them and you train them and you teach them according to that, to that ceiling. And you don't even know you're doing it. But we all do it. We all do it. I remember when I was young, this is a distraction, but I remember when I was young, I was thinking, I heard this, that somebody's parents were just hoping their child, my friend, could finish high school. Oh, I'm just hoping he can finish high school. I'm thinking, well, that's not even a starter for me because, you know, I absolutely have to. There's no chance I'm not finishing high school because the expectation is there and it's been, it's just there. It's a, it's a, now, could my parents have had greater expectations? They didn't really expect me to go to university. And so I didn't. Not that I'm limited to their expectations, but expectations, our expectations, what we imagine, what we believe possible determines the limits of where we can go. And yet God says, listen, you can't even imagine the things that are possible. There's power working inside of you, inside of you, inside of you. 
You think, well, yeah, but I'm not the greatest Christian. I'm not the most anointed person in the world. I'm not a super apostle. I'm not Lance Wall now. I'm not, you know, whoever you think is a hero of the Christian faith. Well, maybe they could do some of the, maybe they could change a nation. Maybe they could change a city. No, you could change a city. I'm not talking about, well, if I just come up with some super plan. I'm not talking about a super plan. I'm talking about the commodities that make for the kingdom of God. The commodities, it's not an idea or formulation of a strategy. It is, listen, if we could just start getting joy and peace and the presence of God flowing in this place, there's no limit. And this is what, this is what James is saying. Listen, he said, there's no limit to what's possible, but you guys are permitting what you shouldn't permit. And it begins with your wisdom. It begins with your expectations. You don't understand how this works. You get frustrated. You're not able to progress. Now, you may think, well, I'm not that young Christian who the first time I prayed for something, you know, it didn't come to pass, so I fell away because God's not listening. Maybe you are. But chances are you're here because, well, no, you, you had answer prayer there and answer prayer there. But somewhere along the way, you're stuck, and you don't know why you're stuck. This is what James is talking about. Ask God for wisdom. In other words, you're not stuck by accident. You're not stuck because there's the luck of the draw. You're not stuck because the world is against you. You're not stuck because, I guess, this is my eternal destiny. You're not in a caste system. You're limited by what you believe. Not what I believe, what you believe. You are limited by what you believe. And, and I'm so grateful that God did this for me at some level. You know, I'm leaning into more because I, I believe there's more that's possible that I'm trying to break through in my own life. But at one point in my life, I wanted to blame others for what was not happening spiritually in my life or in terms of the ministry that God had called me to, the things that God had said clearly, you know, I prophesied so many times, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and it wasn't happening. So rather than owning that responsibility, I I thought, well, I'm sure it's not me. (laughs) So how are we doing? The beautiful thing about knowing that God loves you is that you don't have to recoil in shame when you think that there's something might be wrong with you. The beautiful thing about this book, and I'll keep reading, is that, man, he's he's so clear about everything that's wrong with the believers at the time. I mean, he's not wasting any words. He's saying, listen, here's your problem. How's that for a pastor? Sit down here. Here's your problem. Your problem is this. Now, I'm, I'm not saying, and I'm not going to be coming to your life and saying, here's your problem. Because I don't necessarily know what your problem is. I can give you a prescription for success that's intellectual. I can say, well, listen, if you do this right and do this right and do this right, you're going to get this. And that's true. But what that right is, it's it's... It's not tangible things. If you walk in humility, your life will be better. Well, what does that mean? Exactly. But the point of this, and the point of what James is saying, he's saying, listen, 
Nothing's random. What's happening and what's not happening in your life is not by accident. Don't, don't think that you're in a game of chance. You are not in a game of chance. Let God get, he said, there is wisdom. There is wisdom to know how to get past this thing. Whatever this thing is in your life, he's saying, whatever it is, whatever barrier, wherever you're stuck, there is an answer. There is actually a tangible strategy for coming out of it. Don't lock yourself in that fatalism that says, oh, I guess this is my genetics, this is my history, this is my physical stature, this is the limits of my strength, this is the limits of my emotional ten- the stre- uh, possibilities that I have, this is the, the limits to my intellectual abilities, my gifts, my creativity. None of those things matter. He's saying, there is an answer. When our year-and-a-half-year-old is trying to do this, and some are more stubborn than others, trying to force the square block into the round hole, and then they throw it aside, and they cry, it's not working! Welcome to pastoral ministry. <laughs> All pastoral ministry is trying to get you past your blocks, where, where you believe that the deck is stacked against you and that you, nothing's within your power. And pastoral ministry starts with, that's not true. That's not true. You need to believe that there's an answer. And you need to believe that there's wisdom that's available to you. And if you could believe that, you could get into the next thing. There's a way through this. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care what deficiencies were in your life. God is your maker and your creator. Now, keep in mind this. Keep in mind this, that the issue that he's going to is is at the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3, and he talks about strife and war, and he says, where do wars and, and, and fights come from, right? And he's coming to that, but he's saying, here's the layout of the land, and this is what leads to this. And uh, the problem is that there's something coming out of you that shouldn't be coming out of you. That's, he said, that's where it starts. He says, blessing and cursing are coming out of the same mouth. But he, says, he said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how to begin to identify those things that you need to start working against. You, see, you need to stop off, uh, defending and supporting in your life. So let's see if we can cover some of those. So he starts... Read, writing here, and he says, Let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea and tossed to the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So he's saying, don't be that guy. Don't be unstable. Don't be double-minded. Don't say, I'm going to serve the Lord, and then think a few minutes later, yeah, but he didn't give me what I wanted, therefore he's bad. Therefore he's not reliable. And he goes on, I'll jump down to verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed 
And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Now, there is a mouthful right there. An absolute mouthful. We could, we could do, maybe Chris, you should do three weeks on this verse alone. Saying, listen. There's a harvest that you can have of righteousness. And those who make peace sow a harvest of righteousness and peace. And, and they are identified as peacekeepers, peacemakers. But there is, there is another harvest that you can reap as well. And some, of, some people were reaping this. They were, their lives were falling into sin. And they were, what they were doing, they were blaming God again. God is always a convenient fault. Well, you know, I guess, I guess God's trying to teach me something through my sin. Yeah. You have no wisdom. And there's another way of saying that, but I won't say it. Because you can't fix that. They're saying, listen, God does not tempt anybody with sin. God didn't put sin in front of you. God didn't breathe upon you that sin. God didn't do that at all. God is trying to get you to see what's already operating inside of you. He said, the nature of sin is this. Sin is a seed that is sown into your life by your own desires. You remember I was talking about perfection? Be ye perfect as I am perfect? What is it? It begins with a seed. A seed that you cultivate, that you nurture, that you water, that you, that you, you keep the weeds away from, and it grows up and becomes something. Sin works the same way. If you nurture sin... If you nurture pride, if you nurture jealousy, if you nurture envy, if you nurture these things, lust, whatever it is, whatever you nurture will come to fullness and will bring a harvest. Now, later on, when he says, where do fights and wars come from within you? He comes back to this point. He says, listen, you remember what I was saying about sin? All right. Do you want to be a peacemaker? Or, because if you want to be a peacemaker, deal with your base desires. Deal with those things that are rising up inside of you, he's saying. He said, those things aren't coming from God. God didn't send that your way. God's not empowering that. You are empowering that. You are letting that happen. You are not a victim here. We are not victims. I remember when the Lord was dealing with a sin, and I was saying, Lord, I, I hate this sin. I hate this sin. I hate this sin. He said, no, you don't. If you really hated it, it wouldn't be in your life. But you nurture it. You love it. Well, how do I change that? Well, that's another question. But the truth begins with this, the responsibility that this is yours. See, he said, he said sin... Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when they're drawn away by their own, indi- their own desires. Their own desires. 
their own desires. That word is lusts. Desires is lust. It's translated desires here, but when it's talked about in Hebrew in, in verse chapter four, you know about when it comes to to wars, it said, "Where do wars come? They come from your lusts. They actually it's the same word. They come from your desires. The des- this, the same desires that you have that lead to sin lead to war, lead to fights, lead to division." He's saying, listen, you are, you are meant to be kingdom horticulturalists. You're, you're, meant, you're meant to be seed experts. The nature of this kingdom thing is that there are tangible things that are sown, and when they become full-grown, they are what they were when they were a seed, but now they're perfect. Now they're full. And you have to decide which seeds you're going to nurture, which seeds you're going to allow to come to full growth. Say, oh, I want to be a son of God. I want to be a peacemaker. But I really hate that guy. He bugs me. Every time he's always singing and he sings better than me, and I really hate it. You ever dislike somebody just because they're better than you at the thing that you were the best at? Imagine a little community group. One girl, she's the most beautiful girl, and all the guys are fawning after her. How likely is she going to love when the most beautiful girl in the world moves into her neighborhood and becomes friends with all her friends? Yeah, I don't know what it is about her, but I don't like her. Strife, wars, these things. They're the evidence in your life that something is foul. Something is at work inside of your heart. And God's saying, I've destined you to be a peacemaker, not a divider. I've destined you to bring peace and not war, to make peace and not war. But you have to begin in your own heart. You have to begin. If you can't manage the seeds that are causing you to have friction with your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, your neighbor, your friend, then you you don't have, you're not nurturing, you're not leaning into you're not stepping, you're not planning, you're not moving into what is right immediately before you. See, we like to somehow, as Christians, we do this thing. Yeah, I'm doing everything right, but things just aren't working for me. Lie. Lie. And you know what? There's no shame. There's no shame in realizing you're not doing everything right because none of us are. None of us are doing everything right. So the question is, what am I doing wrong? And I'll close with this. Professional athletes, yeah, they have physical abilities, but the the, the world's best have a mental acuity that's even more important. It is a disposition to know that potential is there. It is an ability to know that there are no limits. And you know what they do? Because they know there are no limits, they own their errors, and they pay somebody hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to tell them what they're doing wrong. And in churches all over the world, people are firing pastors. They're paying 40000 a year for only occasionally telling them you might have miscalculated slightly. used to be that preaching was the manifestation of the glory of God that caused us to realize 
that we need to fix our lives and we need to align our lives and we need to desperately pursue him and change everything that needs to be changed. It was, it was this rabid pursuit of the holiness of God out of an awareness that something in me needs to change. Every time there's failure, weakness, or sin, something in me has to change. Now we're surrounded in a culture where not me is not my problem, it's the pastor. It's that teacher, it's the school teacher. My kid's brilliant. It's, it's a sickness. It's invaded the church. God has said, the sky's the limit. You could be the ones that bring peace. You could fix the earth. You have it in you. You have it in you to create utopia. No, don't, don't wait for utopia. Utopia is made by the makers. And you are sons of your father, and you are makers of joy. Peace, strength, the kingdom. You have, you have at your fingertips access to unending flows of his goodness. And when you worship, when your life becomes the fountainhead of those things, just watch. Evangelism, healing, business, abundant life, prosperity, everything follows righteousness. This is the potential that we have. This is what we're called for. And God is saying, who's going to belly up to the bar here? Who's going who's to say, I want to go all the way. God, deal with, the, deal with the hindrances in my mind. I'd like our worship team to maybe come now. Or actually, no, we've we got to do some announcements. We're going to have our worship team come afterwards, and we're going to do some worship. But I want us to respond. I want us to respond and do a couple of these things. But start with this. Confess, declare. There is a wisdom that will get me through where I'm stuck right now. And and again, none of us are not stuck. We're, we might be stuck at better places than others. And we might be thinking, oh, that's not so bad. I can live here. But there's, there's your call to more. So don't stay there. When you go to heaven, you look back at your life, you're going to weep because you're going to see what was possible. Yeah, that's not from the Bible. That's from Kramer on Seinfeld. <laughs> Kramer said to Jerry, he said, Jerry, wouldn't it be hell one day if we just stood before God and he showed us what we could have done with our lives? Well, hell is actually worse than that, but that won't be good either. But we want to we wanna say, Lord, I'll... No more excuses, no more limits. God, open up the realms of possibilities. When we go into worship here, God opens up realms of possibilities for you to get to a a peak of the kind of freedom he's offering you. That creates hope to endure what it takes to actually get you out of there. So we're going to respond to that today. I'm not going to lead you through a prayer because I don't wanna, really want to tell you what to pray. And God doesn't really answer or respond to the eloquence of words. He responds to the cry of hearts. And it really, he's patient. He's very, very patient. 
But he's waiting for a certain quality of desperation and desire to, to rise up. Every threshold, a major shift in my life was accompanied by a, a matured frustration that released a, a fullness of a cry and desire. I want you to ask God for wisdom. And if you have done any of the things we talked about, if you have been angry at God, if you have blamed others, if you have, I want you to own that. I want you to repent that. And I want to say, God, give me wisdom. Father, give me wisdom. Show me how to come into the next phase of my life. I don't want to spend more time than necessary. I don't want to waste a moment blaming others. I don't want to blame my parents. I don't want to blame our economy. I don't want to blame the prime minister. I don't want to blame where and when and how I was born. Father, we declare today we believe God, let that faith that sees the possibilities begin to open up above our heads to know everything can change. Everything can change. Everything can change. Oh, God. Many of us have obeyed, have obeyed fear all of our lives. We have believed fear. We have believed what fear told us. We have believed what fear told us about who we were, what our lives would unfold, what would, what would, what would not happen, what would happen. The limits of fear, the, the, the stakes around our lives, the lines drawn by fear, we have honored them. But there's a spirit of faith. Come on. Oh. oh, God, we want to move into the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We want to see the glory, the goodness, the beauty that you've placed within us. Lord, let it break open. Let it break open today. Let it break open today in Jesus' name. Now, for some of us, our whole life's quest has been safety, safety, safety. So much fear. Some, some of you went into marriage not for love as much as safety. Safety. If I, if I go in here, I never have to face the torment, the insecurity of being alone again. I, I, I have the comfort of belonging. I have the comfort of, of a place. God, in Jesus' name, break the tyranny. Break the tyranny. Break the tyranny off of our lives. All the ways that we've been manipulated by false expectations and fears. God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You were made for more than this. You were made for more than this. All right.
As we close today, I just, I really want to say there are things that God wants to uncap in your life. There are expectations around sickness. There are expectations around death. There are expectations around the kinds of death that you're going to experience. There is a measured line at which point you're going to, you, you in your mind, from that point in my life, everything's downhill from there. You've already, you've already picked that spot. You've already picked it out. You've made covenants with sickness in your mind, and you don't even know you've done it. It happens in so many different ways, and I'm not going to bother sharing much about it, but I knew a lady who, she just reveled in being sick. And she reveled in the attention she got. She reveled in the importance as people came around her. And she just got another condition, another condition. Of course, there was no symptoms to agree. But in her mind, she said, I'll show you. I'll show you. And she died at like 25 years old of an untraceable sickness. She wasn't really sick. She willed herself into that. She wanted that. She covenanted with that. There was something she got out of the sickness. So there was something, some kind of attention. Her soul was knit to it, and she made a covenant. The enemy tries to bring you into agreement with ways of thinking, with defects, with false covenants to keep you from your destiny. God, give us wisdom. Show us where that alignment is landed in our lives so that we can break free. We want to break free from the moorings of the curses. God, in Jesus' name, we want to glorify you by coming into the destiny that you appointed and promised for us. You are the God of abundance. God, break through, break through. We say no more, 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 no more. So, Father, I pray today that this seed of hope would be incubated in us, that, Lord, warning signs will come up this week as we realize what is being fed, as we realize and see, Lord, wisdom is seeing the patterns that are keeping us from destiny. Father, I pray for a light that exposes this week in unusual ways, Lord, to begin to break the patterns in Jesus' name. We're going to lean into this this week. We're going to lean into it next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. Because the whole strategy of the enemy is containment. Can I get you to accept less than your destiny? There's something here. There's something available today. Thank you, Jesus. Can you thank the Lord, and we'll close with that.
Thanks for joining us online. Bless you. Join us again next week here, Community Church in Spruce Grove. Thank you, Lord.